You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Amen. You can have a seat. Dwayne, thank you for, uh, for your testimony of the Gideons. Um, I just have to say, though, they say that when you, when you get up for public speaking, that you've got to grab people's attention. First thing that you say, right? You want to grab it. And I've I got to say, you lost me. Because the first thing you said was, when was the last time you had a haircut? And uh, I'm on, I'm already having a bad day, man. I'm losing my daughter. I had so many open houses, I can't button my suit coat. Then, then you got to tell me and remind me that I'm bald. So give to the Gideons. That's what I'm supposed to say. Out of interest this morning, how many of you are into gardening? You enjoy gardening. All right. Excellent. That's, that's a great thing. Uh, I, I, I don't know much about it. I, 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 I got a cactus one time and killed it. And so I'm, I'm just not good uh, at it at all. But I'm, I, I love uh, that people have that as a, a hobby and also just something that their heart beats for. Um, I know that a lot of you have maybe already, you have your garden planted, or maybe that's what you're doing this weekend, or maybe you're not even here today because that's what you're doing, um, or it's coming up. Here's what I know about, here's the basics. We all know this, the basics of gardening. This is the, the extent that I, that I know, is that you first start by cultivating the ground, getting the dirt ready, and then I know that you plant seeds, and then you water it, and I know that it takes effort and it takes time, uh, but then I know that once those seeds are covered up and it's watered, now it's months of letting nature do what nature does. Now, I know that you, you've got to protect it and you have to pull weeds and you have to keep the little critters uh, out of your garden, but there's, there's a, a short time of work and then there is a long time of letting nature do, letting creation do, letting ultimately God do what God does. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. I've actually heard it said that, that a garden suggests that there might just actually be a place where man and nature can meet halfway, meaning that we do our part and then nature does uh, its part, and it's a beautiful thing. Matthew 14, verses 34 to 36 is where we're at today. Really small text, but I, I believe that it's rich, and I want to just uh, help us to understand it. In order to understand Scripture better, I hope you fall in love with the Word of God even more today because of this. Quick context, understanding where, where we've been the last few weeks as we walk through Matthew. Jesus has done only what Jesus does, which is incredible things. So we've had the feeding of the 5,000 or the 20,000 people out of five loaves and two fish. And then remember, Jesus goes off to pray. We talked about this last week. He goes off to pray and he sends his disciples out in a boat. And he's really, the assumption is he's sending them home to ministry in Capernaum. And the storm starts to rage. Jesus prays till three in the morning. And then he comes to his disciples walking on the water. And then Peter says, if you do that, because I want to do that, so let me walk on the water. Peter uh, gets distracted by the wind. He gets scared. He begins to sink. And we learn this lesson of, of keeping our eyes on Jesus, which is also what we're going to talk about today, having great faith. That next morning, uh, they are now in the boat. The storm has settled, and our passage begins by telling us what happens next. And let me tell you, it just keeps getting better. So if you would, if you are willing and able, let's stand on the reading of the Word. This is what 
the Matthew tells us in this text. It says, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all of that region and brought to him, that is Jesus, all who were sick. And they implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And whoever touched it was made well. Father, this is your word. Uh, we know that, that you are present already. What we're asking, Father, now is that you, would, that you would allow your Holy Spirit's presence to be made known to each and every one of us. Because we know that as we, as we speak your word, as we read your word, as we teach it, as we learn it, that, that you are doing a mighty work. And so that's what we ask today. Father, that today we would understand this text for ourselves, who you are and who your son Jesus is to us. So bless this time. Amen. You can have a seat. So just uh, for, as far as outline goes, I just wanted to kind of pick some stuff from, of what you need for a, for a good garden to grow, right? We start with, with just rich soil. And we actually find that when we, when we start reading this passage of Gennesaret. Uh, land is, is a word that is used almost more than any other word in the Old Testament. We've got, um, uh, we've got Lord is usually is number one. And, and God, and, but right up there at the top of the list, the word land is used because it's important. Where things happen in Scripture is almost, I mean, it seems like it sets the stage. It's as important as, as the why and the what that takes place. And so every time that, that something happens and you, and you read about a, a city or a town or a location, in studying uh, Scripture, if you want to get deeper, I hear people say that a lot, I want to get deeper in, in, the, in the Word, then don't blow past where things are taking place because there's usually something pretty cool about it. So it says that they got out of the boat, they've had this storm, and they land at Gennesaret. Here's kind of a, a, a crazy thing about it. I have a map that I want you to take a look at. And so this is the Sea of Galilee, and, and you can see up at, up at the top is Capernaum. Capernaum is where Jesus made his his uh, home base ministry. And then you can see uh, to the left of that is this town of Gennesaret. Under that, Magdala, that's where Mary Magdalene comes from. Interesting thing about this, if you've never been, if you've never studied this, or, you know, um, the maps in the back of your Bible, right, is that Gennesaret and Capernaum are only about three miles away from each other. Okay, so the lake is not that big. Um, and, and what uh, has taken place is is that uh, the belief that the feeding of the 5,000 took place up in the hills over Gennesaret. And then so Jesus sends his disciples out onto the water with the belief, we believe, that he was sending them home to Capernaum. And he says, look, I'll just meet you there because it wasn't going to be that long of a walk. But remember, the storm pulls them out into the water. They row all night. They battle the storm. Jesus comes out to them. The storm gets calm and they, they get back to shore when in reality they get back to almost the same place that they left from, Gennesaret. And so here they are. They get to the shore and it says that, that the men of the city recognize them. What we see taking place, first of all, just to help you understand Gennesaret just a little bit more, uh, is, is, is that uh, the word Gennesaret uh, actually means uh, the Garden of Princes. And the reason for that is because surrounding that lake, what you'll find is a lot of rocky shore, you'll find a lot of dry areas, you'll find some mountainous regions, 
Uh, but this one little small stretch of Gennesaret that's about three miles long and about two miles wide is absolutely a flourishing land of gardens and farmland. It's, it's the perfect location for, uh, for fresh water to be running down, uh, and the soil that they find is like a soil that can't be found almost anywhere else in the world. Go back to the Old Testament when God told the people that he was leading them into to the promised land that was going to be flowing with, with milk and honey. What he meant is that there's going to be cattle are going to be able to eat uh, like crazy. You're going to have milk and honey. There's going to be flowers and things are going to be able to grow so beautifully that bees will be able to make honey. And so it was this idea that this is going to be a place that really, truly uh, flourishes. And what's been said about this small little piece of land is that really, uh, as people have tried, there's almost nothing that can't grow in Gennesaret. They grow rice there. They grow vegetables. They grow fruit. They, there's wheat fields that run down into, uh, almost down into the water. Uh, and there are people that claim that, that the best melons in the world grow in Gennesaret. Don't you just want to go there and just sit and, and eat? Uh, all of it. Um, as I said, the name means a princely garden or the garden of riches. That's what Gennesaret means. But Josephus, who is an ancient historian, actually said that the people of that area gave it the name God's Garden. In other words, God does incredible things in Gennesaret. He brings life in Gennesaret. Life is rich in Gennesaret. The soil is rich. It has a great base or a foundation. But I want to just shift it just a little bit to our text today to say that I also believe that that there's a great foundation in Gennesaret by what we see in the hearts of the men who see Jesus coming. You see, in ancient days, most towns or cities would have some type of a gate, a way that you entered into the city. And the leaders of the city, the religious leaders, would sit uh, at the, the gate and they would, they would discuss things, right? As, as leaders, their job was to sit and discuss God's Word and discuss the law and discuss the things that are going on. It's not a place for gossip and all of that stuff. They just would sit and, and they would chat. Well, they see Jesus coming, this group of men that are there, and they, they run out and they grab the sick. That's their first reaction. We rec- they recognized Jesus, and their first reaction was to drop everything and go out and get anybody that they could bring to meet him. I love it. What, what better to have leaders in this city that actually are living out what God had said, which is, I want you to love your neighbor, to, to lay down your life, to, to put everything on hold if there's somebody who has a great need. Plato says that a city is what it is because its citizens are who they are. So God said in Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Do for others what it is that you would love for them to do for you. And if you think about that, if you were home in your house, you were sick, if you were immobile, if you were not able to get out, as people have been talking about this man who'd fed thousands of people, then, then let's go get them and let's bring them out because we think that the one that seems to be doing great things is here in our city. We talk about this a lot uh, here at Centuries. We talk about disciples of Jesus being for their city that we find in Jeremiah uh, 29 that God said, whatever city I put you in, 
I want you to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to build houses. I want you to um, plant gardens. I want you to have families. And he says, seek the welfare. In other words, look, make sure that you can bring the best that, that you can to your city. And he says, because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. When the men of that place recognized him, they didn't run up to him and say, wow, can we, can we meet you? Can we touch you? Can, can you do a miracle like the other towns had done? Uh, they come up to Jesus uh, and, and they see him and they take off and they go and they get everybody in the region, it says, that is sick. And they bring him to Jesus. When it comes to discipleship, the, the stages of discipleship, we know that following Jesus has growth to it. And so in the past, we've, we've talked about, we, we call it kind of four-chair discipleship. It's just, a, it's just a good picture of the way that Jesus discipled His disciples and the way that they went from not knowing Jesus all the way to the point of the, the, the fourth kind of stage of discipleship, the fourth chair, we say, is actually going out and making disciples himself. Well, remember, the first chair is what took place between Andrew and his brother Peter. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist, actually a disciple of his, and, and was there when John pointed at Jesus for the first time and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Andrew believes it, and, and he hears Jesus teaching, and he runs home, and he finds his brother Peter. He says, We think we found the Savior. We think we found the Messiah. You need to come and see. Come and see for yourself. That's the first step in following Jesus is, Experience him for yourself. Come and see the one that can change your life, that can do great things. Come and, and experience who he is. And that's exactly what these men of the city do. They go out and they bring people to come and see Jesus. We believe that he can change you. They were the ones that believed. Those that were sick were probably, they, didn't, they hadn't seen what had taken place. They, they, they hadn't been there to see the feeding of the 5,000. But they maybe had heard stories, but it was the, though that small group of people that recognized Jesus that went out and they brought people and said, you need to come and experience the one who can change your life. That's application for us alone today. Do we live that way? Do we care enough? That, that we actually know how incredible Jesus is. Do, first of all, do you recognize Him at work in your life because He lives within you, because you've accepted Him and brought Him in as your Lord and Savior and said, you can have my life. And then to go out and say, I need to go and find anybody and everybody who doesn't know Him. And I have to spread that word. That's love. True love that God says that we're supposed to have for others. It's care. It's a good city. It's being a great neighbor. It's a great foundation. Gennesaret had rich soil. But also what you need to grow is also favorable conditions. As I said, you plant the seed, you cover it up, you water it, and then, all right, I hope, it, I hope it's going to be sunny some days, it's going to rain on time, and it's not going to hail. You know, all of that. That's what you, as a farmer or a gardener, you pray for. You hope for the best conditions possible to get the best crop Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's conviction of things not seen. In other words, it is a true belief. 
in what you cannot see and maybe what you haven't even experienced yet, but what it is that you are hoping for. So when it comes to faith, it's God, I believe in who you are and I believe in your promises and I believe that you are always going to come through at all times with everything that you can do. It's true conviction. And so our text says that they went out and they brought all of the sick from around the surrounding community uh, to Jesus and they begged him that they would just be able to touch the fringe of his garment that they could be healed. That's, that's called faith. Now, we don't know from the text who exactly had the faith. I believe it was the leaders, uh, these men that went out, that they went out and said, you've got to come. And they were telling the story, you've got to come. This guy can heal you. He can take care of all of your illnesses. And as they're going and as they're talking, as they're telling stories, they begin to believe and they get there and they say, if we could just touch just the, the, the fringe, the tassels on the clothes that you wear, we believe that it would heal us. Now, understand this, because we talked about this. Pastor Ethan actually preached about it, uh, Matthew chapter 9, of the woman who had the condition of bleeding. And she believed that if she could just reach out and touch the fringe of his garment, that she would be healed, and she was. But where that took place, this isn't the same story, that took place on the southern end of the Sea of Galilee. This now, as we saw on the map, is taking place on the northwest. So maybe... I, I mean, if you, were, if you were, had been sick for a long time, if you had illnesses, if you had something that you felt needed to be healed, uh, and you heard the story of the woman who just touched the fringe of his garment, you're like, well, maybe he can do that for me. Maybe how, how long would you, would you lay there and just go, I wish I could meet this guy. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, that I could be healed. Now, to understand, this is what I love about God's Word. This is why, why we should dig as deep as we possibly can into Scripture because it all matters and it all seems to fold into each other and it helps us to understand these passages of Scripture that we don't necessarily fully understand. So let me help you understand it. Back in Numbers chapter 15. Now this is during the time that uh, God had sent Moses to rescue the people out of Egypt and he's leading them to the promised land. And they're wandering in the desert and it should not have taken that long. But they're whining and they're complaining and they keep turning their back on God. And God's like, I should just crush all of you. And Moses is like, please don't. Like, give, us, give them another chance. They don't know what they're doing. And God shows grace and he shows mercy. And they keep working their way through uh, the wilderness. And, and it shouldn't, like I said, it shouldn't have taken long. Maybe, maybe a year, year and a half uh, for them to get there. Well, what happens is they come up to this land of Canaan. And God tells Moses that I want you to to have the, the people choose one spy from all the 12 tribes to go and look at Canaan and to check it all out and to decide, what, make, make the plan. How are they going to plan out how they're going to go in and, and overpower the Canaanites And they're going because you need to get through Canaan in order to get to the promise. And it was always God's way of saying, look, I'm going to build up your faith by showing you that I'm the God who's always with you. And so send them out, have them come back and give a report. So the 12 spies go out, they come back, or while they're there, first of all, before they come back, they make a plan. They're like, look, we don't want to do this. People could die if we go to war. And, and they began to, to make up a story. Let's go back to the people and let's tell them, because even though we see a land that is flourishing, and full of, of rich soil and the ability uh, to grow uh, so much, um, and, and it looks like we could probably overpower that army, but maybe not. 
So let's go back to the people and tell them it's a dry land and that there's giants in the land and there's no way. So they go back, they tell the people, and the people start to freak out. And they're like, no way, we're not going to go through Canaan. Not going to happen. Well, there's two of the spies, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who, who say that's, ab- that's not true. What they're saying isn't true. God, again, says to Moses, I should wipe these people out uh, for believing those ten and not believing what I've been doing in their lives all, all along on this journey. He says, so as a punishment, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years before I take you through Canaan and you get to where it is that I need you to go. And then God says, and as you go, here's some laws that I want you to obey. Here's what you are going to do. And the last one that he talks about there in Numbers chapter 15, he says, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to sew tassels on the fringes, the hem of your garment. Uh, and, and what I want you to do is that every time that you see those tassels, you will remember the commands that I have given you. So they will always be in front of you. They'll always be on you. As people walk in front of you, you wander for all of those years and those people in front of you, and you see their footsteps, and you look down, you're going to see these tassels hanging down, and you're going to remember, why didn't we obey God's command? And this is, we are going to obey God's command for the rest of our lives. And so those tassels would hang from the garment. And God goes on to say in Numbers 15, he says, and every time that you see those tassels, you remember that I am the great God that goes before you. And that I do, he says, and that I do great things. So there's a connection there between the fringes of a garment and God does great things. Do we believe it? So what happened is that the people began to sew tassels on the corners of their garment. It's hard for us to understand because with our, I mean, I don't know, we don't, I don't have four corners, right? And so over the years, early on, by the time Jesus' day, and even before that, uh, as they would wear robes and coats and cloaks that became round, they had to figure out how do we obey God and sew tassels on the corner of our garment. And so they came up with what is called, I've, I've shown this before, uh, this is called a talit. This is a prayer shawl that is worn by, was worn by the people still even to this day. And, and they would wear it over their shoulders. We talked about this, remember, uh, when we talked about uh, the pr- uh, praying in your closet, that praying in your closet wasn't a literal location. It was wherever you go, and it was a, a head covering where no one could see you. And so that's your prayer closet. But the talit would be worn by the Jewish men, and it would be worn by Jesus himself as a good rabbi, as a good Jewish teacher. And, and so you can see that on the corners of the talit, the four corners, are, are uh, these tassels, fringes. Uh, in Hebrew, the word is tzitzit. It's a fun one to say. T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Say it. Tzitzit. Right? Good. So, um, uh, so uh, as you would go around and as you would walk, you would, always, you would hold on to these and you would always be reminded that I'm supposed to obey God's commands at all times. But also, I serve a God who does great things. It's like tying a string on your finger. Like, what's that for? Oh, I got to remember that I got to pick up milk on the way home, whatever it is. But it's a lifestyle of living that, uh, that and that when, when you'd see people out in the community that would be wearing these, you would know, hey, we serve a God who does great things. And, and so you would, it would just became part of your 
your life. Interesting thing about the seat seat is this, is that as you can see, they're, they're tied to the four corners uh, of the prayer shawl. There are um, five knots that are tied in the tassels, and those knots, uh, five knots represent the five books of the Torah, the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so as you held them, you'd remember, I will always, as, I will always obey God's commands. In between those five knots are four spaces. Uh, those spaces are filled by the four Hebrew letters of the holy name of God, Yahweh, yod Hey, vav Hey. And so as you remember, I obey God's commands and I serve a God who does great things. Um, and so you take uh, the five, take the number five, because uh, if you aren't familiar with this, we've talked about it. In Hebrew, each letter also represents a number. And so if you took the word tzitzit and you put it, its numerical value on it, uh, of those letters, you'd come up with 600. Uh, add to it five for the five books of Torah, four for the spaces of the holy name of God and the four corners, and you get 613, and that is how many laws there are in the ancient Torah that you were to obey as a good Jew. So everywhere that you went, you were reminded to follow after God and the God who does great things. Now, uh, the tassels on uh, a, a Jewish prayer shawl are tied to the corner. That word is kanaf. Uh, say that? Uh, kanaf, right? It's a fun one to say as well. And, and, and uh, that just means uh, uh, corners. Um, interesting thing. Again, really why, why it's really cool to understand this is that uh, in 1 Samuel, remember David was out being chased by King Saul. King Saul wanted him dead. And David goes off and hides in a cave. Saul comes in, to, it says, to relieve himself. That's always a fun junior high story uh, to, to teach, right, April? Yeah, and, and, and he goes in to relieve himself, and David is hiding in the back of the cave, and Saul comes in, doesn't see David, and he squats down right in front of David, right? That's, that's, they don't have that in the picture Bible, right? Uh, and, but what, David, what does David do? David reaches out, what does he do? He cuts off the, he cuts off the kanaf of Saul's garment, and then it says that Saul went out and David begins to weep and his heart breaks. He said, because I've done such a horrible thing against God's anointed. We read that and like, what's the big deal? He didn't kill him, right? He just cut off his corner and, and that's why. Why was it so heartbreaking? David said, because I've cut off Saul's reminder that God is present with him, that God does great things and, and his reminder. And so uh, there's importance in the kanaf. So the tzitzit are connected to the kanaf, um, and let me just say this, um, in the Hebrew language, um, not only uh, do the letters have numbers, but it's a very basic language that the words have multiple meanings. So kanaf means corners, but it also means wings. So we, we say, well, how did the, why did the woman walk up and say, if I just touch uh, the, the, the tzitzit on his kanaf, then I can be healed. And the people say, if we can just come and we could touch uh, just the fringes of your garment that we could be healed, it's because there is a promise in the book of Malachi. And it's found in Malachi chapter 4, verse, verses 1 and 2. And it's a belief, it was a belief about when the Messiah comes. And it was taught all the time that when the Son of Righteousness rises, it will come with healing in his Kanaf, or his wings. Kanaf means corners. Kanaf also means wings. And so 
It shows the faith of the people. If you are truly the Savior, if you are the Son of God, then there is healing in your kanaf, and we want to touch your kanaf, we believe. And everyone who touched it, it says, was fully healed. They were made well completely. There's a powerful Son who's done powerful things. Things We know that it's not faith that heals us. The power is in the God that heals. We just come with whatever faith we have, believing that, that God, we believe that you can heal us. And it's even deeper than physical ailments. It is a broken heart, a separation from God. And the only one that can mend that and heal it is the son of righteousness who brings healing in his wings. Author and pastor Tim Keller who passed away this past week. The world is, a, a, is a far worse off not having him around. But he once said, if you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not based on the strength of your faith. It is on the object of your faith. We believe, Jesus, that you are the one that does great things. We believe that you heal. You're made well completely. Let me just end with this. Kanaf means corners. Kanaf means wings. And get this, ready for it? Kanaf also means open palms. When the Son of Righteousness comes and He opens up His palms, you can be healed forever. How beautiful is this Scripture? How many times have you read it and just passed over it, just going, well, that's great, but there's deeper meaning behind it. Jesus is the one that heals, he's the one that saves, and he did it willingly by opening up his palms today. Will you reach out and grab a hold of him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your beautiful word. I thank you for how it continues as we move throughout the New Testament, as we read in Romans chapter 5, that that since we've been justified by our faith, that we place our faith in you, that we say, God, I believe that you are the one that can save, you're the one that can redeem, you're the one that can heal my brokenness, that it says we have peace with God through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we've learned today that faith is touch, it's making contact. So I pray, my prayer this morning is that, is that those that don't know you would reach out, that would make contact, say, God, I need you. I, I need Jesus in my life to rescue me, redeem me from my sin, to give me life. And thank you, you're the God that does that. You do great things and so much more than we could ever ask for. So I pray that you would do that in us today and that we would go from here being a people that would share this incredible message of Jesus Christ, that we would run out and find whoever needs Jesus and we would tell them about him. Thank you. We love you. We praise you today. Amen.